0: Do you know how to dance? Or a better question is, would the people around you say you know how to dance? Uh, I didn't grow up dancing. Uh, I started attending a Baptist church in Chicago when I was in high school and it was against the rules. Uh, I went to a Baptist Christian college and it was against the rules there too. Uh, You could not dance if you were on campus. You could not dance if you were off campus. Uh, You could not dance if you were a student or a faculty. Uh, you cannot dance with your spouse if you were married. Uh, they didn't even allow married couples to have sex standing up because they believed it might lead to dancing. <laughs> it was not until I got married, moved to California, and started attending a non-denominational church that I thought I might be okay uh, dancing. Uh, so Kathy and I went to a dance studio. Uh, I got a little book that I can study. Uh, they gave us instructions Uh, They even gave me a little diagram about where to put my feet. Listen, I studied the book. I memorized the diagram. I knew where to put my feet, uh, but there was one quality that my dancing was lacking. Do You wanna guess what it was? In a single word, it was grace. Uh, There was a certain mechanical robotic quality to my dancing. Uh, Now, when it comes to dancing, I know it and understand it like a dancer, but I do it like a Baptist. And here's the deal. Uh, You can know the book, and I hope you do. Uh, You can understand the book, and I hope you do. You can do the book, and I hope you do. But without grace, there's not much life or beauty or goodness in it. And so I got the book. I studied the book. Uh, I could do the book, but there was no grace. And then the strangest thing happened. The instructor had us dance with our partner. Uh, Kathy grew up dancing. Uh, She was also a Baptist, but she was a rule breaker. Uh, Kathy dances with grace. And as I danced with her, some of her grace spilled over into me. I began to dance a little more gracefully, too. Now, I say this because a lot of times religious people have this problem. Uh, Religion can produce people who know the book, who do the book, but there's no grace. Too often we end up producing rule followers instead of Jesus followers. Christians who are mechanical, like unfeeling, joyless, lifeless, fearful, judgmental people who end up mostly being known for what they're against. And then we wonder, why don't other people want to come to church to be like us? Now Jesus knew all about this problem with religion this actually gets to a question that haunts the human race. Who is a good person? What is it that makes someone a truly good person? We can never get away from this question. And starting next week, we'll be in part of the Sermon on the Mount where we're gonna learn from Jesus how to deal with some of the great human problems, uh, how to deal with anger, how to deal with our sexuality, how to use language well, uh, how to deal with our relationships. Well, Jesus is gonna prepare us for all of that by getting real clear in the text that we look at today on what it means to be a good person. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, the whole rest of Matthew chapter 5 and beyond is really unpacking this next statement. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I used to think that last verse was bad news because I knew the Pharisees did so much. I mean, they would fast twice a week, memorize the whole Bible, they would never look at a woman. They had a really high bar. And I thought what Jesus was saying was that I have to clear an even higher bar or I can't get into heaven. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying these religious leaders have a lot of righteousness and you need need even more than they had. What he's saying is they don't have righteousness at all, not true righteousness. One time he described their lives like this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Uh, Jesus didn't make a lot of friends with this talk. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus is talking about what it means to be a good person. And these religious leaders define a good person in terms of external compliance with the law. They defined a good person as someone who does the right things and avoids doing the wrong things, someone who follows the rules. A few centuries later, St. Augustine had a wonderful phrase for this. He talked about glittering vices. A glittering vice is a quality that looks like a virtue, uh, but it makes me actually proud. It makes me arrogant and unloving. So it really actually destroys my soul. Uh, Winston Churchill from England had a political rival named Stafford Cripps. Uh, Cripps was a, a brilliant member of parliament, respected for his integrity, competence, and Christian principles except he was kind of a a self-righteous man and disapproving. He was what Mark Twain used to call a good man in the worst sense of the word. Uh, his His one known vice was to smoke cigars. And eventually he gave even that up. And when Churchill heard that, he said, too bad, those cigars were his last contact with humanity. You see, a lot of things are good in themselves and they could become glittering vices. I can believe correct doctrine. I can hold to uh, the right political ideology. I can have my sexual life in line. I can have a great work ethic. I can have a glittering family. I can do what Jesus said, but it's possible to focus so much on doing the right things that you fail to become the right person. Do you have any glittering vices? I know I do. See, here's the thing. Focusing on external compliance neglects the the condition of the heart, of the inner life. I have a friend who's a California Highway Patrol officer. Uh, We were discussing what officers look for when they pull someone over on the freeway and what their routine is when they actually pull someone over. And here's something that they never do. Uh, they never pull someone over and say, uh, yes, you were in compliance with the traffic laws, but I didn't sense that it came from your heart. I mean, your very face indicated a lack of joy while you were driving. You're not uh, wholehearted in your submission to the law. So I'm writing you up for failing to contribute to freeway shalom. Uh, your heart just wasn't in it. <laughs> Easy. human legal authorities uh, deal with behavioral compliance. What God wants is a transformed heart. So anytime you're reading the Bible and Jesus talks about the righteousness of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, I mean you have to put that word in in that word righteousness in quotes. Their rule following, that orientation caused them to focus on outward actions while their inner thoughts and desires remained corrupt. See, this is the problem with uh, the wrong, this wrong kind of righteousness, and we can be guilty of it. It generates uh, great social pressure on other people. They become deeply uh, self-conscious about how much they're giving up and how hard it is that they're doing, they're trying to be good. Uh, they demand other people to see and to be impressed by them, and they resent that they actually have to give all this stuff up. That's what religion will do to you and me. And the tragic result is religious people give righteousness a bad name. You see, we have a problem in our day. The New Testament writers used what were wonderful, attractive words to describe goodness. uh, And we need that. But those words have all kind of taken on baggage in our day so they don't sound desirable to us. Uh, Imagine if you were gonna go on a blind date and you ask the person who set you up, like, what is she like? And they use these words to describe her. Uh, She's sanctified, Uh, she's holy, Uh, she's saintly. I would say that she's very righteous. You mean like she's a righteous babe? No, just righteous. (laughs) I mean, in our day, people are not drawn to those words. A friend of mine who also grew up in a Baptist church was telling me about the only sex education he ever got was from his mom before he went off to college. She pulled him aside and said to him, there are bad girls at college. And he said his first thought was like, where do I find them? Like how, how will I know where they are? Like if rule following is so bad, it seems like it might be more fun to date a rule breaker. They're probably where the fun is. You know, people thought maybe that's what Jesus was saying. They would listen to him teach and think, well, maybe because he's critiquing the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, what he's really saying is that rules don't matter. It's more fun to break the rules. But you need to think that one through. I mean, do you want to marry a rule breaker? Do you want to work for a rule breaker? I mean, is that the answer to life? Do you want to raise a little rule breaker? When you're Undergoing brain surgery, do you want your neurosurgeon's last words before they put you under to be, you know, I cheated and partied my way through med school, you know, I kind of regret it now, wish me luck. (laughs) You see, rule breaking isn't the way to go either. That's why Jesus starts this section with, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, because Jesus critiqued the righteousness of the Pharisees, people thought maybe he was trying just to abolish the law and the prophets. Maybe that's the way to live. Maybe we can just kind of cut corners and take shortcuts and seize the day, indulge in pleasures, enjoy the good life. You know, that's what grace is for. But Jesus says, no, the law rightly understood and fulfilled is the greatest gift God gave the human race outside of Jesus himself. You see, we all need to know this, that, would, that word righteousness is a wonderful word, and it needs to be rescued, and we're going to get to that in just a moment.
1: So as Matt's been talking, maybe you've identified with the pressure that religion has put on you, you know, the expectations that others have of you to be more righteous as they define it, and instead of drawing you toward Jesus, it did the very opposite. You know, as an adult, when I returned to the church, the overall feeling I got was that I needed to be fixed. It was okay to come broken, but not to be broken. I was welcome to come, but in many ways forced to hide. A righteous believer produces good fruit, right? So I got busy trying to produce fake fruit so that no one would know the truth about me. And I invested a ton of energy trying to make sure I look like everyone thought I should. I don't believe that anyone intended harm. But grace was conditional, at least it felt conditional. And it was exhausting. I focused way too much on doing the right things instead of becoming the right person. You know, if this has been your experience or if it interferes with your desire to be around the church, I want you to know this this isn't the way God intends it to be. Grace, real grace, authentic grace, divine grace breaks down all barriers. You know, grace made all the difference for me and it can for you too. Let's rejoin Matt and learn more about this word, righteousness.
0: Centuries before Jesus, the philosopher Plato wrote in the Republic about what condition the soul must be in for people to live well and to manage to do what is right and good. Uh, The Greek word for that condition is dikaiosune, uh, which means righteousness, Now, when the teaching of the Hebrew prophets about God's intent for human goodness, about shalom, was translated into Greek, that same word, dikaiosune, was used. So Jesus deliberately chooses a word that brings together the two great strands of moral reflection in the ancient world. To seek to become a truly good person in and with God is the most important thing you can do. Uh, And more important than exponentially anything that you can think of, being rich or successful or anything. The law of God rightly understood, humbly studied and practiced through the power of the Spirit is a gift of God to the human race that is sweeter than honey and more precious than gold. It just is. It still is. It's not about following rules. It's about following Jesus. It's not about breaking rules. It's about following Jesus. Now, the loud and clear call of Jesus is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 6, 33, when he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're gonna seek the kingdom of God, there could be no other word that would follow that, but, and his righteousness. These two go together. Righteousness is simply what your life looks like when you're living in the reality of the kingdom of God because the goal of your life is not rule following. It's not sin avoidance. It's fullness of life. I mean, that's the only way to live in the kingdom of God. A writer named Barry Hill had an an analogy I thought was helpful. Uh, Imagine you have a huge field and you wanna prevent having weeds. I mean, no one likes weeds. The best way to avoid weeds is not to spend all of your time pulling weeds the best way to avoid weeds is to grow a lawn so full of thick beautiful green grass that there's just simply no room for weeds fullness of life will crowd out the weeds in other words you cannot avoid sin by trying to avoid sin and that's what people so often misunderstand about religion Uh, You do it by pursuing life. Jesus didn't say, I have come that you may avoid sin and avoid it by trying really hard. He said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly, like filled to the top and overflowing. The failure to do this, the failure to attain a deeply satisfying life will always result in temptation, looking good, and eventually sin. The only way to fulfill the law is to live in the abundance, in the grace of the kingdom of God with the presence of Jesus who died on the cross to forgive us and who rose again to give us hope. Now, this week, don't be a rule follower. Uh, don't be a rule breaker either. Live in the abundance of the kingdom of God and practice surpassing goodness. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the rule followers, all right? This week, surpass it. Don't just give outward compliance. Out of the abundance of the kingdom of God, his his presence, his power and strength in your midst, let love and joy flow out of you toward others. This week, when you're at home, instead of doing the minimum you need to do in order to avoid trouble with your spouse or your roommate or whoever, step into the kingdom of God at home, live in the abundance of the kingdom of God, offer surpassing goodness, surpassing righteousness. Uh, My daughter and I were in a room together recently. I was working on a message and she was working on her homework and I was trying to concentrate. Uh, I'm an introvert, Uh, I like to work uninterrupted. Uh, My daughter is a raging extrovert Uh, interruption is her primary love language. Uh, She was reading a book and just kept interrupting me to tell me about her book. She just kept getting really excited about what she was reading. And anytime she gets excited, she has to talk. And so I finally just got mad at her and told her to go to her room. Um, And she didn't interrupt me for a long time after that. But it was not my most righteous moment. Uh, See, when I live in the reality of the kingdom of God, I can say, God, my time is in your kingdom and you have more than enough time, God. So I don't have to be rushed or preoccupied with my little agenda. This is what it means to live in the kingdom. This is why obeying Jesus is impossible if I'm not living in the reality of the kingdom. In the kingdom, I can live in unhurried love in this moment, like one moment at a time. Think about this. The difference between the good Samaritan who did God's will versus the religious leaders who did not do God's will was the good Samaritan was willing to be interrupted. He had time. When you're at work this week, whether you're paid or volunteer, don't just follow the rules. So many people, you know, so many Christians are just kind of clock-punching, rule-following, conformist. You know, what's the least I need to do? Not you. Not this week. This week at work, step into the kingdom of God and offer surpassing goodness. The Apostle Paul described it like this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. I recently heard a great sermon by Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, He was talking about how we're all called by God. Like wherever we're at, whatever we're doing, whatever work looks like, whether it's big or not. He said, if a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should... Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. So, whatever you're doing entering data, teaching students, selling products, writing code whatever it is do it with surpassing goodness and pray, maybe God, how can you help me with this? God, how. Uh, can we partner together to solve problems, to help my coworkers, to, to work with joy? This week, when you go to work, followers of Christ ought to be the greatest workers because we're offering surpassing goodness. This week, when you talk to someone, don't just be an autopilot. Don't just give socially acceptable words. Speak to them with surpassing goodness. Encourage them. Love them. And it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, they'll get your heart. Remember, if you're a follower of Jesus, the aim is not behavioral compliance. Jesus put the distinction like this. Good people bring good things out of the good they've stored up in their hearts. But evil people bring evil things out of the evil they've stored up in their hearts. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. In other words, my aim must not be just to say good things and avoid saying bad things. My aim is to have God change the automatic flow of thoughts and desires inside of me to make that flow of thoughts and desires to be uh, truthful and humble and generous and hopeful and, and brave so that good words naturally come out. Now, how do I pursue this? How do I store up good things in my heart? Well, one really important way to aim at changing the inside of the cup, uh, to change the automatic flow of thoughts in your mind and perceptions and so on, is to memorize scripture so that those thoughts are always present in my mind. But of course, the, the human condition is I can turn memorizing scripture into a glittering vice. Uh, I can compare all I'm doing with other people, you know, thinking of it as this kind of spiritual merit badge, making it into a competition. Uh, When I was a kid growing up in Sunday school, we actually had a contest to memorize the Beatitudes. And for every verse we memorized, we would get a prize. And I was pretty good at it. But there was one girl in my class who was better at it than I was. Uh, I was memorizing the Word of God, but she was memorizing the Word of God faster than I was memorizing the Word of God. And that kind of made me angry. And so I killed her uh, a little bit in my heart. Uh, we actually see about anger and killing in the Sermon on the Mount next week. I mean, it's the biggest problem in human life. Now, if I'll let God do his work in me, I can take scripture into my mind and it can change the flow of thoughts. Like don't turn memorizing the Bible into a glittering vice. It doesn't mean you are a, a spiritual giant because you you can memorize scripture. If it makes you proud and self-righteous, uh, it can actually make you worse. But if you do it as a means to uh, an end of having a changed inner heart so that your your mind can think the kind of thoughts that God thinks, then God can use that to change your heart and to change your life. So when you're uh, standing in line at a store, um, you don't have to pull out your, your phone and to keep you from being frustrated or bored or anxious. I mean, you can use that time to reflect on the scripture that you have memorized and God will begin to change your heart a little bit. You can have these wonderful thoughts available to you when you wake up in the middle of the night and God can use that to begin to change the inside of the cup. This week, if you're driving a car, if you're lucky enough to have a car, just remember to drive in the kingdom of God, which means maybe slow down, be careful, uh, be grateful that you actually have a car. I mean, just say, God, thank you. Let someone else in front of you as an act of kingdom generosity. This week, you can offer surpassing goodness. You can offer surpassing goodness with your money. Uh, I was talking to someone at our church who was telling me uh, he used to be irritated when someone on the streets would ask him for money. And then he sensed God was telling him, uh, just give it. When someone asks you for money, just give it to them. Uh, I know the ultimate answer for poverty is not just giving money to someone. It's not a a systemic solution, but giving will help your heart. Uh, And it's not up to you how they use it. A lot of times you don't use your money well. So just give it. And so he started doing that. Uh, When someone would ask him, he would just pull out his wallet and he would give a bill to someone. And then God said to him, give the big bills. Like if you have one in your wallet, give the big ones. And so he did. And I have to tell you, God has blessed this guy financially in some remarkable ways. Uh, Now this is not about how to get more money. It's not like getting rich is the goodness that we're after. It's living in the abundance of the kingdom of God and offering surpassing goodness. Uh, This week, remember, if if you're being a rule follower, kind of grinding it out, there's a better way. If you're being like this rule breaker, disobeying God's law, there's a better way. I love the way Jesus puts it one time, uh, this is the, a statement that's maybe not widely known, but it's a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful image. To what shall I compare the people of this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. Can you hear it? It's Jesus playing the flute. I mean, he's like our great Pied Piper. It's Jesus calling you to a life of surpassing righteousness and joy out of the overflowing abundance of God's great love and generosity. So this week, know the book. I hope you do. It's a good thing to know the book. Do the book. I hope you do. But don't stop there. Uh, Step into the kingdom of God. And when you step, uh, do it with grace. All right, let me pray for you. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we're so grateful for the Sermon on the Mount and just how practical Jesus' teaching is. And God, we want to live in the kingdom of God. We want to uh, obey you, not so that we can be rule followers and get like a merit badge from you, but so that we can live this kind of righteous life that you want us to live, this life that is so full. You tell us to to live life in all its fullness, abundantly, overflowing. You want us to overflow with, with joy and love and goodness and generosity. And I pray that as we do that this week, that we'll realize this is the best life we can live. So would you help us with this? We're going to need your Holy Spirit to be at work in us. So would you help us as we go? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, If you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, For directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, And We hope to see you on Sunday soon.